New York-based photographer Mariana Cook is known for her character studies in persons both in and out of the public eye. Among her previous best-selling photo books are Mathematicians, Faces of Science, Mothers and Sons, and Fathers and Daughters. I love those titles. <laughs> her latest collection introduces us to some of the women and men who are the faces of the human rights revolution, among them former Secretary General Kofi Annan, uh, Jimmy Carter, Archbishop uh, Tutu, and um, the Burmese uh, uh, democracy advocates, uh, Ans- how do you pronounce that? Um, Aung San Suu Kyi. Aung San Suu Kyi. Okay, Chi. Okay. Um, well, hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Mary, we're talking with Mariana Cook. Um, this is Greg Grasso with the Marshall Public Library Radio Hour, and I want to thank uh, Mariana for coming on board today. Uh, Mariana, I've been a, um, a lover of black and white photography ever since I grew up in uh, Connecticut during the 50s and 60s. I think you and I are about the same age. I was born in 54, and I think you were born in 55, right? That, yes, that's right. Yeah, and you spent uh, most of the time on the East Coast, right? Yes, I grew up in New York City and live here now. Yeah, I love it. And um, you ha- you are a... Uh, you're a world traveler. Um, you, you've been all over the globe. Uh, your, your, your photography is amazing. And what attracted me to your work is, of course, the black and white aspect of photography. I've always loved black and white. Uh, I've been a, a fan of uh, Ansel Adams and uh, Steichen for many, many years. And uh, when I uh, came across this, uh, I thought I... I uh, would really have fun talking with you. So tell me, uh, tell our viewers uh, a little bit about yourself, how you got started, and uh, but most importantly, why black and white and why not color? Uh, well, I started as a kid uh, when I was about age eight, and um, I took my first course in black and white photography when I was about 16, and then did it in college a lot, and then uh, met Ansel Adams and studied with him privately for about five years. Uh, The reason I like black and white is because I'm more interested in light and tone than I am in color. It's just, it just sort of grabs me. Uh, And of course, early on, uh, when you print, you can easily print black and white and do a little burning and dodging, making things lighter or darker as you see fit in the darkroom. It gives you a lot more flexibility than color photography development did, at least when I was doing it. Now, of course, with digital, you can sort of do whatever you want, I think. But um, it's really the light that fascinates me, light and form, and uh, without the interference of color. Were you inspired by Ansel Adams uh, early on, uh, or did that come through your uh, journey, uh, let's say? It came through my journey. Uh, I think somewhat unconsciously I was affected by Steichen, who was actually uh, my father's family's photographer. He photographed about 97 members of my dad's family. So we had some... The family photographs on, in my dad's uh, study were by Steichen, um, and that may have had some 
you know, impact on me in terms of what a photograph could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when I was uh, finishing college, I wrote my thesis on Alfred Stieglitz mm. and his school, and, and it touched on Ansel Adams, uh, who was, of course, much younger than Stieglitz, but uh, whom Stieglitz showed um, at his gallery in American Place. So I ran across Ansel's work through Stieglitz's uh, archive, actually. Mm. Steichen was amazing. Um, I, I grew up in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Uh, oh, yep. And my husband did too. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's true. No. Well, we we may know each other. <laughs> you may very well. Yeah, but uh, um, Ed, he he just uh, he floored me when I first started looking at his stuff. My dad was a watercolor artist, and. Um, uh, visited with with Steichen before he uh, well, the last five years of his life, I guess. Um, I think it was uh, Will. Um, no, it was uh, Westport. Uh, Westport or Reading? I'm not sure. I remember uh, it's been a long time, but I just remember the woods and the lake and so on and so forth. But um, if we we don't see at least I don't see um, those uh, those giants of photography. Um, anymore i mean everybody's picking up a camera everybody thinks they're a photographer but you um it it looks like you've it looks like the 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 way you photograph um you really get into the soul of the subject and that that's what's so amazing to me um when i look at uh, your portraits um when i look at some of your uh, other work uh uh, like in couples or uh, stone walls, uh, it, it just blows me away. So we go back to the to the the shadows, and um, you know, uh, it, it's a discipline, and and uh, and I'm sure that it uh, it took a while, uh, kind of figuring out uh, how to capture. So so how do you get into the soul of these people? I mean, you you you've got an ability to actually capture the the personality, the pain, the the excitement, um, which is unusual these days. I think. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I feel it's unusual these days, also. So much is about surface, um, yeah. and uh, shocking. Or I work very intuitively. Mm-hmm. and I don't have a preconceived idea of a person before I photograph them. Mm. So I often know very little about the person uh, before I make the picture. Um, and in this book, Justice, for example, and in many of my books uh, w- with accompanying essays that go along with the photograph, uh, I do the interview after I've made the photograph itself. Oh. Hmm. Um, because I think... A really great portrait has to be given by the subject. It's not something that a photographer can control, take, manipulate, uh, calculate ahead of time. Um, it's it's a gift from the subject, and it's a joint venture. And uh, I only use natural light. I don't think people like being under glaring artificial light much. Um, so I'm often asked how I do sort of reveal the the essence of a person, um, and I mean, 
Ansel once said to me, you do have a way about you. <laughs> I read that, yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess that comes about as close to it as, as I can explain. How did you ever hook up with this with this man? I mean, how did uh, that happen? I mean, crying out loud. You were a protege for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, well, I had um, a cousin of mine knew him, and when I was in my early 20s, I admired this cousin very much, and I asked her what she thought I should do next. I said I wanted to be a photographer. Um, and she suggested that I work with somebody I admired. Who did I admire? And uh, I'd written my thesis on Stieglitz, and you know, I didn't. everybody from that group was pretty much dead, and I wasn't sure if Ansel was dead or alive, but I took my chances and said Ansel Adams. Hmm. And she said that she knew him um, and that she would write him on my behalf. And she did, and you know, she said she sent me a copy of the letter in which she said, um, that she had a young cousin who would be very interested in meeting him, and whatever his policy was in these matters was completely understood. Um, so that's how we met originally. Um, and then he told me to suggest that I take a course on the zone system, which is a sort of a technical uh, system of exposing negatives and developing them hmm. mm-hmm. um, in New York. And I registered for a course out here and... Uh, Halfway through the six weeks, I didn't understand a word of what they were saying. <laughs> and I called him up in tears after class one night, and he said, Oh, it doesn't sound like they know what they're doing on the East Coast. You better come out here. So I went out to California, yeah. and uh, he really took me under his wing. That was the beginning. Wow. How 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 long did you spend with him? Uh, well, I lived in New York, and he was in California. Right. But I would um, fly out every three months and spend a week or two with him. Wow. Uh, so that went on for about about five years, a little bit less toward the end. Wow. You lucky son of a gun, you. Yeah, I was very fortunate, huh. very fortunate. And he taught me really how to expose negatives and, and make prints so that the images sort of reflected what I felt and saw. Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. And, and um, uh, equipment-wise, did you use uh, Hasselblad or what, what did you use back then? Uh, back then, I used a view camera. Um, the wow. Ansel sure. insisted on that. Sure. So I used a 4 by 5 view camera. Oh, I love and, it. And uh, then over time, I moved into uh, medium format, two and a quarter mm-hmm. square. Mm-hmm. And I used a Hasselblad um, and also a roll of flex. Wow. And that was better for me. The The view camera was just too big for me physically. I mm-hmm. I could handle it, but I wasn't as comfortable with it as I was with roll film. Um, but at least you learn you, you learn the basics, you know. I mean, you learn. Well, the, it's all film, you yeah, know. It's, it's all just film, a different, right? Right. right. It, and composition, and mm-hmm. well, of course, with a view camera, there's no mirror in the camera, so the image comes through upside down. Correct. Yes. Yes. So one learns to composed yes upside in, down <laughs> upside down in terms of form yeah. so it's that's very very instructive because if a, if a picture's great it should work just as well upside down as right side up if you yeah. ask me yeah crazy um you know a couple people uh, in justice caught my eye uh, jimmy carter uh, john lewis uh, who i adore um ruth ginsburg um how did you decide who was right for your book? I mean, uh, how'd you how'd you pick these folks? Uh, well, my 
foremost guide was Anthony Lewis, um, who died recently and wrote the introduction to the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I was talking to him about what I wanted to do and um, babbling on, but I don't know what I'd call the project. He said justice, Hmm. uh, um, human rights, and the rule of law. And so that's how the project began. Ultimately, I called it Faces of the Human Rights Revolution because I realized that Many people, other than lawyers and judges, also contribute to um, human rights. Uh, but originally, it began with, and with lawyers and judges, and there were a lot of them in there. Yes. Uh, so Anthony Lewis gave me a list, uh, mostly of Americans. Um, so Jimmy Carter and John Lewis and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg were on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already photographed Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, for my mother-son project, um, and actually also for my couple's project. So I had a portrait of her uh, individually, which I was able to uh, then use in the Justice book. Um, and then Arya Nair, who uh, works with uh, George Soros at the Open Society Institute, recommended a lot of the international subjects. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one person sort of led to another, and I added some of my own with with uh, passing them by Ari Nair and, and Anthony Lewis to make sure I wasn't making a mistake. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what, what, were there was there anyone that you met um, um, that has changed your life? Uh, obviously, you've been uh, you were interested in in the movement. Let's say uh, you grew up through it. You know, uh, like I did, and uh, but. but but who 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 touched you the most? Uh, do you have a do you have someone in the book that you really connected with? Well, I loved Lou Pollock, who uh, was a judge mm-hmm. um, in Pennsylvania um, on the district court there, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a very special man. He had seventy seven law clerks. He <laughs> during the course of his his work as a judge. And uh, he was also dean of the Yale Law School, dean of the um, University of Pennsylvania Law School. Um, And when I went to photograph him in his chambers, I got there early. He wasn't in yet, and I asked his secretary which chair he usually sat in so I could maybe set something up ahead of time with the camera and, and then he could come in, and I wanted him to sit most comfortably. And many of us have a favorite chair that we sit in. Sure. And there were lots of them. There were about 25 of them in his chambers. It was a big room. <laughs> um, and she said, oh, he sits in all of them. And it was true. Uh, he's completely sort of democratic that way. Um, and when I went to his memorial service um, after he died, I was fortunate to photograph him. Uh, somebody delivered a eulogy and gave gave an anecdote about his um, uh, a woman, for example, who was convicted and um, sent during her sentencing. Right after her sentencing, he closed the courtroom so she could spend a few hours alone with her children before she went off to jail. Mm. Um, and things like that. I mean, he was just he he was very human, kind, fair. 
And I think that the people who, all the people in justice who fight for human rights have that sense of being decent and good and fighting for each and every person, it's freedom and uh, right of liberty. and and uh, But he, I think, in his person, very visibly demonstrated that. You, you say, yes, you say, um, I'm quoting, uh, peering through the camera lens, I hope to gain an understanding of how they, the subjects, become so devi- devoted to the rights and dignity of others. I mean, you can see in the faces of these people um, the compassion, the, uh, the internal drive, the internal uh, uh, stance that, that these folks have taken, some on, on their own. Uh, a lot of these folks uh, uh, took it upon themselves to to get into the business of what they were. Uh, they stayed true to their uh, soul, and uh, it obviously transforms. I mean, that's what I see. I, I just see wonderful people here. Uh, compassion. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's a, it was a interesting book to do and it's also available as uh, as an ebook which is great for people all over the world who can't either afford or have the book shipped to wherever they are yeah it's got to be spendy isn't it i mean this is a big book it's beautifully bound and wonderful printing i mean really yeah good it's a, i think it's a beautiful coffee table book it, it really is it's actually a great gift for people who are graduating from law school. <laughs> there, there you go. There you At go. least, uh, you know, this time of year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, uh, what about stone walls? Um, I, I, I told you my dad was a watercolor artist back east, and uh, uh, he did a theme called The Disappearing New England Scene uh, for about 30 years before he mm. passed away. And uh, one thing that popped, uh, was real good at was landscapes and stone walls. And, oh. Yeah, you, you know you got a really good eye. You, you, you composition wise and and light driven. Um, really interesting because uh, I see I see patterns in life. I see patterns wherever I go. And uh, stone walls was pretty cool because you can zoom in and you know get down to that micro level, or you can zoom out and get the whole effect. It was pretty cool. What, what, why'd you do stone walls? <laughs> uh well we had a we have a place uh in the country in New England and uh one Thanksgiving I guess we drove in and there were something like 52 or 56 cows I counted them at the time um on our lawn and we had just built this tiny little barn house and seeded the lawn and and the so the ground was quite quite soft and mm. these cows of course are heavy <laughs> and they just you know, fell into the the soil and left it lumpy. Yeah. Um, for the, of course, it fr- it was very warm, but they they felt a chill wind and they came from their pasture. And what had happened was they crossed over the stone wall between me and my neighbor that had broken down. So, I got very interested in why stone wall was built in the first place. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of tension between me and my neighbor over getting it fixed or not getting it fixed because mm. she thought at first that we should just you know, put up wire fencing or that the electrical fencing she had that had gone faulty, she would simply repair. Um, And, of course, my concern was that if it went out again, the cows could come back. Um, So I became very interested in what 
dry stone walls mean to people mm-hmm. um, who own land and uh, who built them originally. And uh, and then the more you look at them, you, you even walls that are so close by to one another but have been built by different farmers, say, to get the stones out of the fields, uh, They different people have a different way of building a wall with the same, really the same materials. And that became fascinating to me, how different people put patterns together. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I noticed that also growing up. I mean, we have literally thousands of miles of stone walls in New England. And of course, those are all field stones that were taken out of the ground, uh, pulled by horse and uh, you know, and and dry fitted, like you say, um, uh, a dry fit stone wall to me is absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's an art form. It's, uh, uh, you know, the mortar. Yeah, the mortar is absolutely. Important. Yeah, very cool. And so, some of those stones are, you know, five, six, seven hundred pounds. <laughs> I've seen huge ones, uh, but but yeah. very cool. I mean, a beautiful book, absolutely beautiful book. And um, I was thumbing through. Um, I was thumbing through couples. Mm-hmm. Man, you, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to articulate because uh, I love art and I love uh, um, what you do. Um, uh, couples, uh, speaking from the heart, was, uh, is just an amazing collection. I mean, the the wrinkles the emotion the 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 uh, uh animation and the faces of of some of your portraits are just just throw me back i mean throw me back uh, well thank you very much it was that was a challenging book to do actually um, why well there were a lot of couples who um had been together for a long time and i think mm-hmm. kind of lost a sense of connectedness mm-hmm. um and and yet they had the kind of face that they with with each other that that they gave sort of society as it were you know mm-hmm. wh- when they went out into the world um it was sort of a practiced way of being together right. and that's not helpful when you're trying to get inside people no uh, and of course, when they're being photographed, they're being seen. So some some of the couples sort of fell into that frame of mind, um, and that's why it was difficult. Hmm, crazy. What about fathers and daughters? Um, was was there something? Uh, was there a connection with your dad that uh, made you decide to do this? So you did this in the late '90s or mid '90s? Well, actually, that was published. That was my first book. Uh, uh, that was published commercially Mm -hmm. Uh, it was published in 1994 Mm -hmm. and uh i did it really as a tribute to my dad because i was so close to him and uh he was i guess he was about 80 when i began the project and i just realized he was getting older and Mm -hmm. couldn't stop thinking about him and i started wondering what other people's relationships were like with their fathers and i couldn't walk down the street without looking at somebody and thinking asking myself is he a father or you know does she is she close to her father or 
Um, you know, the father, does he have a daughter? I don't know. Anyway, so um, in order, sometimes when you can't get something out of your head, you just have to delve into it and explore it as fully as possible, and only then can you stop thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, uh, my, uh, I'm the oldest of eight kids. and um, Oh, wow. Yeah, an Italian Catholic, you know, of course. And uh, uh, my dad and I... Uh, uh, well, my dad had a hard life, and uh, early on, uh, he and I didn't connect. Uh, I don't think I really connected uh, with my father till I was into my 30s, uh, early 30s, um, and then really saw him as uh, as not the man I looked up to, but uh, uh, but someone, just an individual that uh, uh, tried to stay true to his path and. Uh, it looks like you're trying to stay true to your path as well. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm trying. It's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a wacky world we live in. Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, listen. Um, you know what? We're running out of time here. I would. Uh, I'd love to have you back on and and talk about some deeper stuff. Uh, uh, but I just want to. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, uh, you're a great photographer, uh, and honestly, I mean that. Uh, I grew up. Uh, I grew up. I, I've uh, during the art explosion during the '60s in in New England, and uh, art has always been uh, part of my life. Um, and I I really appreciate uh, your work. Uh, I think you're one of these few people that uh, that are walking on this earth right now that have a, a true gift, and. Uh, um, I'm very happy to talk to you. I really am. Well, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you said those things, and I'd be happy to come on whenever you like. Yeah, I, well, I mean it. It's, uh, you know, from my heart. Um, well, listen, folks, before we start uh, uh, something else here, let's let's say goodbye to Mariana Cook. I want everybody to, uh, to look her up, uh, Google the name Mariana Cook, uh, look at all her books. Uh, you've got, what, 12 of them now or 13? 10. 10. 10, okay, all right. Um, wonderful stuff. Um, I think you've got a great eye and a great soul, and uh, it's been nice talking to you, Mariana. Thanks. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.